0: Chapter six of Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study by Charles Edward Jefferson. Chapter six. The Foremost of the Demons. To all the sons of Adam there comes the temptation to be lazy, and therefore let the minister beware. It is not true, as some men think, that all clergymen are lazy but it is true that they, like other men, are tempted, and, alas, too many of them succumb. Intellectual indolence is far more common than is generally supposed. Mental activity, except in rare cases, is not congenital, but an achievement. The average man is prone to follow the line of least resistance, and unless the angels of his better nature repeatedly bring him back, he will wander far away from close and continuous mental toil. Many a minister is indolent without realizing how indolent he is. It is possible to entertain demons as well as angels unawares. Not infrequently a man will fuss and bustle over miscellaneous matters, giving the parish the impression of tremendous diligence, while all the time his intellect is a dawdler at its work. A man intellectually lazy will do anything rather than whip his mind to mental exercise, he will scamper over the parish and astonish the county by the number of his parochial visits. He will multiply organizations and manipulate them with a dexterity quite amazing. He will engage in all sorts of schemes and enterprises to maintain the interest of the people, rather than buckle down to hard, exacting, redeeming mental labor. There are many Bible sentences appropriate for mottos to be hung on the wall of the minister's study, but none of them has in it a greater wealth of needed warning than the Hebrew proverb Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. It was the conviction of the Hebrew sages that idleness is ruinous, and that if a man prefers ease to labor, his poverty will come as a robber, and his want as an armed man. The robber has already overtaken many a clergyman, and the armed man is on the track of many another. What other man has such urgent reasons for being diligent as a minister? If he is indolent, his sin will find him out, and so will everybody else. Other men can more easily conceal their mental sloth, for most of them do their work as if it were in a corner. But the minister is a public character, and when he speaks, whatever rust is on his mind is seen. A scraggy, scrambling prayer, a raveled, faded style, a juiceless, pithless sermon. What are these but weeds in the garden of a man who has folded his mental hands? No man can long be interesting in the pulpit who does not think. No man can think wisely who does not study. Constant mental application is the price a minister must pay for power. When men cross the deadline under seventy, it is ordinarily because they have ceased to develop new cells in the gray matter of their brain. They may have been students once, but their early studies cannot save them. A parish soon discovers when the minister is trusting to his diploma, and has put his mind to bed. The necessity for unceasing labor lies in the nature of the minister's work. He is a public teacher, always teaching. If he spoke less frequently, his words would carry greater weight. He does not get credit for the ability and worth which he actually possesses, for nothing so dulls the sense of appreciation as familiarity. Any man of intelligence endowed with a gift of expression can preach one sermon. Many men can preach seven. A few men can preach seven times seven. But seventy times seven is the work of every preacher. It is this incessant creation of new sermons which constitutes the crowning test. How to keep the reservoir full, that is the tormenting problem. Nothing short of Herculean labor will solve it. Much of the charm of public speech lies in the freshness of the speaker's accents, in the novelty of his cadences, in the newness of his viewpoint, in the surprises of his rhetoric, in the unexpected disclosures of his personality, as revealed in his mannerisms. But to a minister all these charms are denied, his voice, rhetoric, conceptions, figures, oddities soon become a tale that is told, and he has nothing to rely on but the earnestness of his spirit, and the energy of his thought. Laymen forget this when they compare clergymen with interesting speakers whom they hear but once. They hear a man speak at a banquet, or on the rostrum, and go home saying, Ah, if we could have preaching like that! What a brainy and interesting man! In all probability he is no brainier or brighter than their preacher, let this fascinating speaker speak ten times to the same audience, and his brilliancy will fade a little. Let him give fifty addresses, and his freshness will vanish as the dew. Let him speak five hundred times, and he might turn out to be as dull and stupid as a preacher. A man may be brilliant once or twice, but not all the time. Nothing grows stale so soon as brilliancy. Learning may overwhelm at first but after we have lived with it for a season we cease to be impressed eccentricities of voice and gesture are delicious on their first appearance but by and by they become intolerable if the editors and professors and college presidents and other critics who say and write bold things against the pulpit should attempt discourse twice a week to the same congregation for ten or twenty years they might find themselves as prosy and stale and repetitious as the luckless culprits they now condemn. If, then, the industrious can hardly stand, what shall the lazy do? Get out of the pulpit, or go to work. To be a preacher, and a preacher whom the years cannot wear thin, a man must be a painstaking, indefatigable, everlasting worker. He must have a genius for toil. He must be willing to drudge and dig and grind. He must lay out his lines of study and pursue them doggedly and unconquerably through the years. He must forsake cheap papers and beware of books published for mental babes. He must trounce his mind whenever he catches it dawdling, or slouching, or lounging. He must quit pottering over incidentals and conundrums, and wrestle with the great doctrines and dragons." he must give himself soul and body to his work with the devotion and fidelity of a slave whose heart has been redeemed by a master who renders to every man according to his work, and creates a heaven for every soul to whom he says, Well done. End of chapter 6